This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Today, we begin year six of our podcast. Dave and I have completed five years as Two Guys in a River. Although we did take several months off last season, we needed a bit of a break, but hey, we've been back recording an episode every week, and we plan to keep doing that, at least for the time being. Uh, We have enjoyed this a ton, and we've really appreciated the response from you, our listeners. Dave, what is the one thing that has changed in our fly fishing since we started this in 2015? Uh, Wow, we're we're, uh, old, crusty veterans now. (laughs) Well, one, so what have we learned? well, one thing that hasn't changed is I continue to outfish you. Wouldn't you say that's true? <laughs> oh, probably my laughter says it all. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I would say the one thing that has changed for me, uh, since we started, uh, podcasting, and this is not about podcasting, this is about fly fishing. And I'm not sure when it started or why it actually started, but I find more and more that when I'm about to go onto a stream or know or think about a day of fly fishing, I always have in my mind the first thing I'm going to fish and then the second rig that I'm going to put on if that doesn't work. I was thinking about that as we uh, fished in the Minnesota Driftless recently, and I had the first two or three rigs all set up in my mind. Okay, I'm going to fish this for 30 minutes. If that doesn't work, I'm going to try this. And then, of course, on that day, nothing worked all day long. But it reminds me a little bit about what uh, offensive coordinators do in the NFL where they script the first series uh, of downs. Uh, We're from Chicago, so Mitch Trubisky is our quarterback, at least for now. And we know that he's pretty good at that at uh, executing what's scripted for him what's harder is what comes after that so that's also true for me i would say but that is the single thing that i think has changed in my fishing and i'm not actually sure why that is dave i'll just say this and you can take this any way you want but uh, <laughs> you're you are the mitch trubisky of fly fishing <laughs> oh <laughs> Oh, I set you up for that. Oh, oh man, you did. Man. That, that's, that is beautiful. That's beautiful. I take all oh. that back. I take all that back. Uh, actually, oh. Mitch is a great guy, and he's got a lot of promise as a quarterback. I hope he, uh, yeah, I hope he, yeah, continues to progress, just like I hope you continue to progress, Dave. That's so patronizing. Oh, man. Oh, gosh, that's, that's a good one. So what about you? What have you, oh, uh, how have you fished, or how do you fish differently as a result of, I don't know, just in the last five years, just as a result of podcasting, maybe. I don't think it's the result of podcasting, but what has changed in the last five years? Well, yeah, I I think the research that we've had to do, uh, more reading, more conversations. Yeah, we would have had some of those anyway, but podcasting has, what, disciplined us, maybe forced us into doing those uh, with more intentionality. And I I know for me, because of that, I think I, I feel like I have a much deeper understanding of of safety. That's been a big theme. And, you know, yeah, we, we've been aware of that, but, but because of our podcasting, we've delved into that topic a lot more. 
I think even the physics of fly fishing, I mean, I, I learned some of that from Gary Borger before we started podcasting, but I, I think just the discipline of uh, cranking out a, uh, an episode every week, and then for a while we were writing an article every week, and we might get back to that at some point. Uh, I was just doing a lot of reading, as you were, and a lot of listening, you know, maybe even more intentionally to some of the conversations we'd have with, with fly fishing experts, and or even guides, or even picking up little things like, uh, uh, you know, hey, the, the the current at the bottom of a of, of a river stream is slower than at the top. If, if you want to know if you're deep enough, uh, you know, watch your strike indicator if you're nymphing. And if, if that's moving more slowly than the current, you can tell that because all the white bubbles on the surface uh, kind of race past your... Uh, uh, your strike indicator, then then you're deep enough. Well, I think a lot of things like that I I picked up, just a lot of little hacks and tips. And so uh, overall, I, I think that's the reason why I, I now pummel you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly did last time we were out. So let's just let's just say that. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that was a fluke that I'll be the first to admit. Well, hey, on today's episode, what we'd like to do is to talk about dry fly fishing and I love dry fly fishing. Uh, you know, whether I'm matching the hatch or fishing attractor patterns, man, it's just thrilling to see a trout rise to a fly floating on the surface. Uh, one of the most important lessons I've learned about dry fly fishing over the years, and even these last five years of podcasting, is casting my dry fly to the right places. Yeah, I know, I'm sounding like Captain Obvious here, but hey, if you're casting your fly to the places where fish are not likely to be, then you're not going to catch fish. Uh, would you say that's true, Dave? Right, Steve. And you're an expert at casting to the wrong places, Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now I set you up. We're, we're even, I hope. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, you bet I am. I'm, uh, I'm an expert at casting to the wrong places, and I'm proud of it. No, no, wait. That didn't come out right. No, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> Uh, seriously, though, we, we want to share eight places that you ought to cast your dry fly. Now, this is based on a list in our book, the Fly Fisher's Book of List, but we've added one that I can't believe uh, we didn't include in the first place. Uh, you, you must have edited that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame that on you. Anyway, we'll, we'll leave it to our readers to figure out which one that is. So, boy, now the, the books are going to be uh, flying off the shelves like hotcakes uh, because everybody's going to want to know, well, what is that one missing, uh, yeah, what's that one missing uh, thing that we, we, we left out? Anyway, uh, some of these spots are obvious. Some of them are not. Dave, where should we begin when we're thinking about eight places where we ought to cast our dry fly? What's the first spot that comes to mind for you? Well, fly fishing legend Gary Borger says, fish it before you weight it. Now that to me is just plain and pure wisdom. And it seems so patently obvious, but, uh, you know, the best spot might be the water through which you need to wade to get to the next best spot. In fact, this is this happened to me last fall on the Madison. It was the only fish you and I caught that day, and it was in our favorite haunt. Usually we fish that place in the spring if we're out, out in Montana in the spring, 
and it's this beautiful run. And, and I, we always walk through this shallow run to get to this hump where you can stand and then cast out into this other run, which is a beautiful, beautiful run. But I remember walking down to the bank last fall and I thought to myself, you know, Dave, why don't you just wait and look and watch before you step into the Madison? And I did. I didn't see anything. Then I thought, you know, why don't you just fish that little run right there? And and it was like the third or fourth cast and this big brown took it and raced and started racing to the middle of the Madison. And fortunately, I was able to bring it in. But just a great example that you should fish it before you wait it. So the first one is uh, where you're about to wait. That is where you should cast your fly. Yeah, that's great. Great uh, place to start. Uh, the second one is obviously for bigger rivers, and that is the spot where the drift boats fish. If, if you've ever watched fly fishers in a drift boat, uh, they're not casting to the middle of the river. Now, I, I, I know a guide, uh, used to guide for the River's Edge in Bozeman, Montana. I don't know if he still does, but uh, he actually took, when, when he had new clients or inexperienced clients, I mean, this guy was a genius, and he would, he'd rig up their rod with a, with a dry fly pattern, a Madam X. I mean, it's a big fly. It almost looks like a hopper. And he would, he would fish that thing in the middle of the river, and, wow, they would catch fish, you know, in, in July and, and in August, kind of probably during hopper season. But typically, if you watch drift boats, they're casting to the banks, uh, right where you're standing. And, you know, here we are, we're standing on the bank thinking, oh, I wish I could get to that run over in the middle. No, the, the drift boats are crowding the banks uh, because they, they recognize a lot of those fish are right along the bank. So if you're fishing a large river, think of the first 8 to 10 feet from the bank as a small stream. And that, that's really helped me out a lot. Because sometimes I've gotten to those bigger rivers, you know, the Yellowstone, the Missouri, and, and you know, at some places, even the Madison, although where we often fish it, it's, uh, you know, below the Bear Trap Canyon, and so it's almost acts a little bit more like a tailwater. But, man, with those bigger rivers, uh, you know, that first 8 to 10 feet from the bank, that's a small stream. And if you break it down like that, it's a lot less intimidating, and that's where you're going to catch fish. Yeah, that is a great, great insight. You do feel overwhelmed when you're fishing a big river and you have those drift boats coming down. You think, man, if I was just in a drift boat, and it, it yes, you, it'd be great to be in a drift boat, and there are just a lot of fish that hang along the banks. In fact, arguably, with, with the exception of the fish that hang in the buckets in the middle of the river, that's probably where most of the fish lie, and especially in those bigger rivers. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So the third uh, place you, you should cast your dry fly is, <laughs> drum roll, where the trout are rising. And I don't think we have to say this, but we should say this just to be Captain Obvious and to say the patently obvious. If you see rising fish, go after them. And that is how we fished Quake Lake last summer. We hired a guide and uh, Steve and I went out into Quake Lake and basically we stalked the fish. We didn't just start fishing. We waited until we saw a rise 
and then we would cast to the rise. And this is actually really frustrating with when you're with a guide and he turns to you and shakes his head while you why you can't cast farther than ten feet. <laughs> but there's uh. no, there is nothing more fun than casting two arising fish and then seeing that fish come back up and grab that fly. So this is number three. It is patently obvious, but it's important to say cast to where the trout are rising. Yeah, you, you want to scan the surface, even in a even in a small creek, looking for the subtle rises that are uh, easy to miss. And Dave, I think last weekend, a couple weekends ago, we caught we were fishing in the driftless we caught trout that we had spotted and you know we they weren't weren't a ton of risers but the few places we where we saw them rising we uh, we had some success so yeah that that's an important spot another one uh, number four would be the head of a pool or a run and this is where the fast moving water what we call a ripple uh, rushes into a slower, deeper section of, of a current or into a pool. So now we're actually going to think about runs. Again, the place to start is the head of that run or the head of that pool. I mean, I have a couple of favorite runs like this on the Boulder River south of Big Timber, Montana. The, the fish just seem to pile up right at that transition point between the ripples and the slower water. Dave, you remember that last summer, a couple of those places we uh, we fish that it just seems like right after uh, you know, the, the fast moving water, right, right as it started to empty into the main run or into that pool, that's where we pick up a lot of fish. Yeah, for sure. It's like a seam. I remember someone saying that the edges of the outdoors are where all the wildlife are. And if you think about hunting, the is you think the edges of the field or you think the edges of uh, between the seam between a field and say timber that's coming down often you'll see turkeys that sit right there and the same is true I think with with fly fishing that seam between the riffles and the pool or the run often they're just sitting in there and uh, and they'll they'll chase what comes by Dave what's another spot as, as we're continuing to think now of, of, a, of a run kind of a stretch of stream or stretch of river uh, what the next spot be? Well, related to the seam point that I just made is in the foam line of a run. And you've seen this if you've been on the big water uh, in the Yellowstone or the Madison, or even in some slower moving, not necessarily slower, but even in smaller uh, creeks as well. The boulder is much smaller in Montana. And there's even several foam lines. You'll start to see foam lines in the creeks that we fish in the driftless, they're not as pronounced, obviously, as they are in the bigger rivers. But, you know, the foam line, what is the phrase? The foam line is the food line. And and so sometimes the trout are just downstream from the riffle and in the current itself. And so as you walk up to a stream and start to work upstream or work downstream, watch for the moving foam and bubbles. And so this is the food line. And these runs can be short or extended longer but the foam line is often a great place uh to drift your fly i love that line dave that the foam line is the food line i mean i think if uh, new fly fishers remember that uh, that that'll just help them catch a lot more trout because uh, yes that's where the action is all right here's another spot that has to do with that run so we've talked about the head of the head of the run 
Uh, we've talked about the foam line, which is kind of that main section, but don't neglect this sixth spot, and that is the shallow water at the tail end of the run or even at the side of the run. Uh, now, you're not, you're not always going to find trout in these places because they offer minimal protection from predators. We understand that, but wow, Dave, how often have we seen trout in, in those spots? I mean, they're, they're just great feeding spots for trout when the insect hatches are in full force. And it must be that, that, at, that at those moments, the temptation to hang out in those unsafe places is, uh, is <laughs> greater than, yeah. th than it ordinarily would be. And, you know, the other thing, too, is often the more gentle side of a seam, and that's the that's the imaginary line now that's dividing the fast-moving current and slower water. So that's if you're standing looking at the, the river, we're not talking now about the transition from, from left to right or right to left where you're going from uh, riffle into a pool. Uh, now we're talking, as, as you're standing from the side looking at it, that that, that main section of uh, current uh, that there's a place where right out in front of you where where that kind of begins and ends and, and that particular seam again that imaginary line that's dividing that the fast moving current and the slower water that's uh, closer to you that that's a great place to cast a dry fly you know, Dave I, I watched you uh, uh, last week uh, actually you outfished me one of those days and uh, you, you were this one run that we love, and you're just catching trout after trout uh, at the edge of this deep run in in that really shallow. Well, I mean, it wasn't completely shallow, but it was a lot shallower, uh, much more a vulnerable place for trout to be when you think about birds and other predators. But uh, you were hauling them out of there. I mean, that that's just a great place. It was odd because normally you and I fish that from the other side of the bank. And I started fishing it from, uh, well, the other side. And it felt really awkward, but it was where this fast-moving water came into a pool, but it was very shallow and towards the edge of the bank almost. And it was actually the first time, and we fished that place many, many times, but the first time that I've actually fished on that side of it. And at least in that moment, it was productive. Yeah, it's the only thing you can do because if, if you think about it, I'm talking here to listeners, if you if you envision this, if the slow-moving water is on the other side of a run, well, you just can't you just can't fish that. I mean, you, you can cast your dry fly there, and you might have a second, but as soon as that middle faster section of the the run starts pulling your line, it's going to drag that fly. So. Uh, yeah, if, if you're going to fish this gentle water on the side of a run, you know, then, then you have to be on that same side. So I think that's a good reminder. Otherwise, again, the, the tail end of a run, and, and sometimes that begins a new riffle, but it's usually shallow there, and you know, during an insect hatch, uh, that, that can often be a great place. Or sometimes you went and trout are on the move, uh, you'll, you'll catch them in that water as well. All right, we've, we've talked about uh, six spots so far. Uh, where you're about to wade, that was the first one. Uh, where drift boats fish. Uh, number three, where the trout are rising. Uh, number four, the head of a pool or run. Uh, number five, in the foam line of a run. Uh, number six, we just talked about the shallow water at the side or the tail end of a run. 
There's a couple more, Dave. What's another one? Certainly along an undercut bank. And I think I've seen you, both you and your brother do this really well with the dry fly. And obviously this is for smaller streams and maybe not if you're able to cast towards, if you're, uh, let's say, fishing the Gallatin or the Madison and you're able to cast towards the shore. But those deep undercut banks are really great places for an attractor pattern. I saw you do that uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, whenever it was, we were out fishing and it was, I think, one of the few fish we caught that first day, but it was on an attractor pattern. You drifted it by an undercut bank, and boom, that, that fish came out, hit it, took it, and it was a nice, uh, I think it was like 13 or 14-inch brown. So the closer to the bank, obviously, the better, because um, there's a sense in which even being able to slap that thing down there so it's almost like something plopping into the water. This is really true, by the way, for streamers. Uh, we've seen our friend Dave Cumling do this really, really well. And in fact, I'd like to have him on a podcast sometime talking about how he approaches streamer fishing, especially in smaller creeks, because he is the master of that. Um, but overhead brush or a submerged tree has the same effect, it creates a place of food and protection from birds or other predators. It also creates great risk for losing your dry fly. And I seem to be a master at that. But uh, so along an undercut bank, that is just another great place for your dry fly. Yeah, that really is. All right, here's a final one. And the final spot is near a rock. Now, some rivers or stretches of rivers don't seem to have pronounced runs. Uh, rather, they have a steady flow and depth from one bank to another. And so what you have to do in those kinds of rivers is to look for big rocks. And Dave, you and I have caught trout in front of, behind, beside big rocks. I, I remember a lot of success years ago on the Gallatin River, uh, kind of south of southwest of Bozeman in the Gallatin Canyon. Uh, my brother and I years ago used to fish, fish a stretch of that river near Red Cliff Campground. It's a national forest campground. It would be south of Big Sky, and. You know, we would use a royal coachman or an atom that tells you how long ago this was there wasn't the we didn't have the royal wall for a parachute atoms we just used the old royal coachman the old atoms and man we would catch just all kinds of 12 to 14 inch rainbows but it was always near a rock in the middle of the river i mean that the river was almost the same depth at that stretch and uh yeah we just we we literally get out in the middle and we we'd fish you know, to the, to the left, to the right, in front of us. And, you know, we, we drifted by these rocks, and, and that's how we caught fish. So it's, I, I think the, you know, I think the uh, Madison between Quake and Hebgen is like that. You remember that last summer day when we walked up from, uh, from Quake Lake and fished a little bit? It seems like that stretch is very similar as yes, well. Yes, yes. Yeah, so if you're going to have dry fly action, that's that's where you want to do it. You know, even even last week in the Driftless, there was a point, too, where I saw a, a big rock by this deep pool and drifted a fly by it, and, man, out of the depths came a, a trout. And so, again, this may seem kind of patently obvious, but, uh, wow, if you see a rock, take time to uh, to stop and to fish that with a little bit more earnestness because that might be where you're going to catch a fish yeah that's a great uh that's a great point and 
and often, especially in fast moving water, sometimes you forget to fish the pocket right behind the, the big rock. And sometimes that's just a terrific place uh, to, to drift a big attractor pattern. I think one of the things that hits me is we're talking about this with the exception of the one that we talked about uh, casting to rising fish. But often this works when you're, you're in a sense searching for trout with an, with an attractor pattern. And so um, almost all of these points uh, are good reminders when you're when they're not rising specifically and to something that you know that they're rising to, and you you're just you're, you still want to dry fly fish, and so you use your attractor pattern to search. And I've I've watched your brother so many times, especially in Colorado, where they're not really rising, but yet he'll fish. He's so determined he'll fish a dry fly all day long. And by the end of the day, he's caught five to seven fish off that attractor pattern. You know, while I'm mixing it up with nymphs and then I go to streamers and then I go back to a dry fly for a while and then <laughs> back to nymphs. And But sometimes just his persistence and using all these different uh, approaches or places to cast, he does so well. And I've just been reminded again about the persistence of, of fishing when there's no... Uh, trout rising and using an attractor pattern. I'd say maybe the two most important aspects of dry fly fishing are uh, number one, you know, fish with the right size fly. We've talked about that before. We think that's more important even than the pattern. So make sure you have the right size of fly, but then you got to fish in the right place. You got to be where the fish are. So we're pretty confident that if, if you are a new fly fisher and you pay attention to these eight spots, uh, you're going to increase your chances. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, we always add this feature because we love to hear from you. And, uh, man, in the last five years, we've learned so much from uh, comments from our listeners. So uh, that's uh, why we always share this. Uh, today we have a comment from Jim on our recent podcast on simplifying your fly fishing experience. And this is what Jim writes. He says, I love the podcast. I enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed your book. I'm also at the stage in my life where I no longer compete to be at the right location on the right river at the right time with the newest technique. I believe we often overcompensate with knowledge until we gain experience. Personally, I still enjoy casting my two-piece Thomas and Thomas six-weight. Man, that's a great quote. This phrase... We often overcompensate with knowledge until we gain experience. Man, that is oh, that is that, quotable, isn't it? That really is, and that that's so true. And and the knowledge will turn into experience, and I guess it becomes uh, uh, becomes well, it, it's there, but uh, you you just do it maybe a little bit more instinctively. I guess you could say. Yeah, knowledge is important, and you know it's so important early on, but you realize that you can only apply so much knowledge when you're actually fishing. And and it, it, you do learn by doing, and you do learn by failing. And if you're, uh, you have any kind of uh, acumen at all, you go, okay, that didn't work, so let's do something different. And you're, you, know, you start to problem solve, and that is really the joy, to me, the big joy of fly fishing. I also like that statement where he says, I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where I no longer compete. You got to be at the right place, the right river, the right time with the right or the newest technique. And, and I do think there's something to that. I'm not sure I'm there yet because 
man, when we fish, I want to I want to get there at the right time, you know, before everybody else does. But I, I understand that. I think there's a sense where you do uh, relax a little bit more. Where, uh, yeah, this isn't just something to, uh, you know, I, I have to make a conquest here. I, it's it's more of a wow i'm i'm in the moment i i get to enjoy this i'm i'm going to relax and if somebody else races ahead of me or they're in my spot i'm, I'm fine because there's uh there are other places and and there are other pieces to this so i i think that was good as well i also think with experience comes more fish even when you're in competitive waters i reread a piece that Tom Morgan wrote. Uh, our friend Dave Cumling put it on to us about how he uh, fishes streamers. And he talked about, uh, he had, I think he was on the Madison or something, and he wanted to fish this run. And he got to the river and somebody had just gone through the run. He was like an old brother. Um, and they had just you know, done a lot of nymph fishing in that run. And he went with through with his, no, they had used, they'd used streamers as well. And he went through, I think they were up two or three runs, but he went through behind them and ended up just catching fish after fish because they weren't casting the streamer in the right place. And maybe their technique of how they twitched the streamer through the, the stream was not as sophisticated. The point simply being that even when there's a lot of people on the water and there's it's crowded, you can still catch fish. And I think you know the wisdom and experience really helps with that. Yep, that's a great point. So, hey, thanks, Jim. We appreciate your uh, uh, your comment. A lot of insight there, and uh, hopefully that'll help all of us as we uh, have opportunity to get out on the water. All right, well, that's all for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Captain Obvious. No, actually, I'm Steve Matthewson. <laughs> and I'm Captain Obvious's really good friend, Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. 